So, one Sunday, after worship, a pastor was greeting one as they were leaving. And a lady came up to the pastor and said, Brother, thank you for that sermon. It was good. It was real good. The pastor said, Well, sit. i got to give all the credit to the Holy Spirit. Well, she said, it wasn't that good. I thought that was hilarious. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew, it wasn't that good. Jeez. So, one Sunday, a pastor was... Okay. Anyway. So, maybe his Sunday wasn't... His sermon that Sunday wasn't all good, but some sermons are that good. Some sermons inspire you and connect you to God's will in a way that you weren't connected before. A way that brings you to new levels of faith. But it's not just sermons that do that. Amen? There are other ways that God speaks to us and encounters us. Indeed, the Apostle Paul, as we just read, said that God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Now church, that is an encounter with God. Being made alive. Amen. We have these experiences with God, whether they are life-changing or whether they are life-affirming, but these experiences can show us what God wants of us, from us, and for us. So I want you to think about the last time, the very last time you felt what we'll call a moment of grace. Think about the last time you felt a moment of grace. Maybe it was a message that you know God was giving straight to you. Maybe it was a healing that you experienced. Maybe it was an answer to prayer. Maybe it was a quiet assurance that you felt at just the right moment that you needed to feel it. Think about the last moment of grace that you have experienced. Now, in talking with people about these kinds of things, I am sure that it's, it's hard for some of us to put a finger on a time And that's why today I want to remind you of the one thing that I think you can do right now to learn what God might be telling you through these experiences, how to identify these moments of grace. But first, you'll have to remember that God had promised the people that they would be able to go home, that they would be released from captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah told us, the prophet Isaiah told us, and thanks be to God, God kept His promise. That is the kind of God we have. Amen. As it turns out, it was King Cyrus of Persia that proved to be God's instrument. See, the Babylonians had taken over the the people of Israel, but later on it was Cyrus who took over the Babylonians. And as part of his reign, he allowed the people of God to return home. That's what we just read from 2 Chronicles. Now, apparently, this was something that he did for other people, too. And actually, this is what is called the Cyrus Cylinder. 
And we find these sometimes, these are, these are the edicts that he put out. And one of the edicts that he gave was that for the people of Israel, the people of God, after being held captive in Babylon, were now free to go home. Now, on the surface, it's inexplicable why a king would do this. He didn't just say they could go home. He didn't just say, all right, now, get out of here. In fact, he gave them everything they needed to go home. He gave them the blessing, but he also gave them what they needed to make the trip home possible. Now, that seems inexplicable, but Second Chronicles offers to us an explanation if you were paying attention. It tells us why Cyrus did this. And here's what it says. The Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus. Y'all with me? Now, what did that stir look like? I don't know. We have no clue. Was it an inaudible voice that he heard through prayer? Was it something that, that he felt in his bones? Was it something that the, uh, the prophet Ezra or maybe Daniel told him that, that, that made him start thinking this way? We have no clue. All we know is that when God stirred his spirit, something happened. Has God ever stirred your spirit? So you know that feeling. We don't know what it looked like for Cyrus, but we do know that there was a stirring in his heart And Cyrus knew what he had to do. I'm going to suggest that Cyrus had an experience with God, and after that experience with God, knew that God had called him to do something. Are you all with me? Because so far, I've asked you to ask yourself over the last several weeks a few questions. God, what do you want of me? What do you want from me? And what do you want for me? And also, so far, I've told you that we have scripture, we have tradition, and we have reasons as ways to find answers to those questions. And this morning, I want to leave you with the idea that we have these encounters with God, these moments of grace that can help us answer those questions as well. And to be sure, these moments of grace, these experiences that we have with God, they come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Sometimes it's something grand and sometimes it's something so small that only we can hear and feel within our spirits. And to be sure, not everything that happens to you is a sign from God. If you lose your keys this afternoon, you don't have to automatically think God is trying to tell you something. It may be that she lost your keys. That's it. Not everything that happens to us is a sign from God, but often, sisters and brothers, these experiences, these moments of grace that we have, they can help show us what God's will is. What can you give the Holy Spirit credit for lately in your life? What can you give the Holy Spirit credit for lately in your life? I want you to think about that as you uh, watch. I was going to tell you the story, but I think it would be a little more impactful if you watch the story. Ask yourself that question. What can you give the Holy Spirit credit for lately in your life? Think about that question as you watch this story. One day I saw an elderly man cutting grass. 
and he looked like he was struggling. So it came to me, I should do something about it. And that's when I decided to cut free loans for the elderly, disabled, and single parent mothers for free. I'm capable of cutting grass because I'm young, I'm able. A lot of elderly people are not able. My name is Rodney Smith, Jr. I'm from the island of Bermuda. Well, in Bermuda, everybody's just friendly, you know. They give back when they can. And that's what drives me to help people. I'm here at Alabama A&M. Uh, I graduate this May, and I look to go back to get my master's in social work. The goal was to reach 40 loans, but I reached 40 loans in a month and a half. Are you missed? Two months later, I reached 100. And that's what got us to here, raising my loan care service. For some boys, when they first start, they're like, okay, all right. But in the fifth loan, they're happy, you know? Let's, let's go. They're calling us up saying, can we go cut this week? Can we go cut that week, you know? So I'm doing something positive, and I, I want boys to follow my footsteps and be better than me and give back. My dad, he spent his life building houses. His love for helping people, I think, rubbed off for him, and I caught a little bit of that. We start off with a white shirt. It's like the karate system. When you get a black shirt once you reach 50 lawns. So you have white, orange, green, blue, and then we have black. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. We have someone reaching their 10th loan this weekend. It may seem like somebody is just going around cutting grass for people for free. Um, and this story is very well known, but what you don't hear all the time is, is something that uh, Rodney said about his story. He, he once said, I remember a few years ago, before that, before meeting the elderly man that got him started cutting grasses, I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. I asked him to use me as his vessel, and it didn't happen at that moment. I believe it happened when I came across the elderly man outside mowing his lawn. This young man had an experience with God, and it showed him what God wanted him to do. And now not only is he just helping people who have a hard time cutting grass, but he's also making an impact on the younger generation because of the experience that he had with God. Sisters and brothers, whatever experience you have with Christ that shows you the depth of His love makes you alive with Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul told us. And when we are alive with Christ, sin is conquered and abundant and eternal life is promised. And that's something God does for us. But then, then we get to learn what it means to be fully alive. We realize what the Apostle Paul was saying, that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created to bring good to the world. That means that you're saved because you're loved. 
You're saved by God because you're loved by God. You are with me? What Christ has done for you cannot be measured, but it can be lived. What Christ has done for you cannot be measured, but it can be lived. And that's what we're trying to figure out. God, show me how you want me to live, what you want me to do. When I was a kid, uh, talking about school and everything, we used to have those workbooks we do, and uh, the first couple pages of the new lesson had all the simple problems that you would do. And if you remember, if it was like this for you, at the very end of the lesson, before you got to the next lesson and something new, you had the, uh, the, the problem-solving questions. Do you remember those? I hated those. I would skip those. That, they were usually three, four, five sentences long. And what they were trying to do is to get you to think about what you had learned and apply it somehow to what you were doing. I hated it, and I skipped every one of them. I don't recommend doing that. Because here's the one thing that I think you and I can do right now, that you can do right now to use these experiences with God, these moments of grace, to find out what the will of God is. Reflect. Now, in the academic world, it's called problem-solving. In more spiritual terms, it's called reflection. And I'm convinced we've lost the art of reflection. We go through our days, we go through everything that happens, and we just go and we go and we go. Some of us, we're so busy, our minds are constantly working, we're constantly doing this, doing that, going here, going there. We don't even make time. We can't even imagine having time to sit down and say, let me reflect on what I have experienced today. We've lost that art. That is an important part of who we are as Christians. Our Christian tradition has included the art of reflecting. Because it's in that reflection that we learn, that we understand, and that we grow in our faith and in other ways. So I want to offer to you this idea of how you can reflect on an experience that you have. Whether it's something big, whether it's something small, or whether it's maybe even a passage you're trying to make sense of. You're trying to find the will of, will of God on how do you reflect on this passage. There's three ways. One, let me encourage you to journal. Now, I'm not talking about dear diary today. I know. Unless that's your thing. If that's your thing, by all means. But what I'm talking about is simply thinking about the day you just experienced and writing down anything you think worth remembering. It could be something as simple as, today I helped an older man mow his lawn. Second thing you can do is talk to others that you trust about your experience. Now, let me make a, a, a clarification here. Now, don't talk to someone who likes cheese man. We're not talking about that, right? Talk to someone that you know is interested in your spiritual growth. Talk to someone who has demonstrated to you or to others the, the faith, quality, faith qualities that you admire, that you want to live out. Talk to someone about what you've experienced and see what insight God might be giving them for you. And then, ask questions. What did this experience mean to me? How has this experience changed me? Or what might God be showing to me through this experience? 
in our discussion of the Wesleyan Quadrilateral over the last month, there are a couple things that I've wanted to make sure that you know. And the very first one is God has a will for you. That God knows who you are. God knows where you come from. Sometimes we have this idea that I don't have enough church experience. I don't know enough of the Bible. I haven't read the Bible yet. I haven't been coming to church. I haven't been doing the things I want. So obviously God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Sisters and brothers, that's a lie from you know where. God has a will for you. And the second thing I want to make sure that you know is God gives you ways to find that will. God isn't dangling the will in front of you saying, (laughs) God wants you to know. Because as we live into his will, that's where we find the assurance of peace, the promise of new life, and the true purpose of what we were created for. As a way to find God's will, God often shows us his heart, shows us what he wants us to do through scripture. Quite often, the words of Scripture can show you the direct will of God. But we've also remembered that God gives us intelligence to make sense of the situations that we face in order to find His will as well. We have the long-standing faith traditions of the church that can help guide us to finding God's will as well. And like we've said today, we have these experiences with God, these moments in grace that in part show us what is important to God. They help us make sense of what we read in Scripture and to flesh out what God wants us to do. Sisters and brothers, if you don't hear me say anything else today or if you haven't heard me say anything else the past month, hear me say this. God has a will for your life. And God wants you to know what that will is. Amen? Yeah, amen. Thanks be to God.